Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Well, I want to talk to you again about empowering your inner man. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. And may the very God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a trichotomy. You have a body. You live inside the body. You have a soul or a mind, but you are a spirit. You're a spirit being. It's way back in the book of Job that says there is a spirit in man. The real you is a spirit. Now, we know how to develop our bodies. You go to the gym, you get a personal trainer, you start working out, lifting weights, doing cardio, eating right, getting the right rest. You can develop your body. You want to develop your mind, you go to the university, you get an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree. You can develop your mind. But how do you develop your spirit? Because what you and I are supposed to be, we are supposed to be spirit-dominated people. And your spirit can only dominate your life if your spirit is stronger than your soul and your body. Most people, their body dominates their life. Some people, their soul or their mind dominates their life. But you're supposed to have your spirit dominate your life. The Bible says, walk in the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Walk in the spirit. I'm going to say it like this. Have your spirit dominate your life, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what do we do to develop a strong spirit? We say it this way. How do I really become a spiritual person? where my spirit is dominating my life. Number one is feed your spirit daily the word of God. Again, it's in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You will not grow strong spiritually without feeding your spirit. Um, this week, Daniel and I were, were having a conversation, my son Daniel. And he said, you know, what most people do is they fast in reverse. Right? How many of you know what normal fasting is where you don't eat food? Right? And what happens is your body becomes weak so that your spirit can become strong. Right? But what most people do is they fast in reverse. They fast their spiritual food, their spirit fasting, and their spirit gets weaker and weaker and their body gets stronger and stronger right? and dominates their life. Right? We fast in reverse. What we need to do is feed our spirit every day. Number two is obey the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 20, verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. When God speaks to you, he speaks to you in your spirit. When he enlightens you, he enlightens you in your spirit. It's in Romans chapter 8. It says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The spirit of man, the candle of the Lord. In 1988, I just got this strong feeling on the inside and desire to go to Russia. I'd never been to Russia. I didn't know anybody in Russia. But I just had this like, I, you know, I want to go to Russia. I want to go. I want to go. And uh, I knew a, a, a missionary who had been there a couple of times visiting. And so I got in contact with him. And I said, let's go to, let's go to Russia together. And he said, okay. And he said, well, get somebody else to go to. Right? And so I called up my evangelist friend, Dave Dwell. And he agreed to go. So the three of us are going to go. It's 1988. We're going to go to Russia. And I talked to the staff here, you know, some of the leaders in the church, staff and elders. And there was this one particular leader. He just said, you know, I feel like you should not go. Everybody else was like, you know, we don't really have anything. If you want to go, go. 
you know. But this guy, like, I don't think you should go. You should not go. You should not go. And then to top it off, I had two wonderful people who had prophecies for me, right? One said, when you go to Russia, you'll die, thus says the Lord, in a plane crash. Well, that was really helpful. <laughs> and the other one just said that I would, I would be murdered while I was in Russia. Well, that was really great, you know. I was encouraging my faith, right? So, so you know, so a bunch of people really didn't say one way or the other. One person was really adamant, don't go. And then I got two people that are prophesying to me, right? And so, I, and, but I, I have this thing like I feel like I'm supposed to go, right? So you say, what did you do? Well, well first of all, you know, it, it kind of shook me a little bit. To be very honest, it shook me. And so I'm, I'm praying, you know, Lord, what should I do? And about this time, a, a guy comes up to me. And, and he says to me, he says, you know, he said, you know, I've, I've, I really want to be in full-time ministry. He says, and somebody has prophesied to me. And they said to me, go to Africa, and when you get to Africa, you're going to have a great ministry. And he said, should I go? And I said to him, well, if you decide to go, take that guy with you so you know when to come home. <laughs> now, how many of you know you're not supposed to be led by prophecies? You're supposed to be led by the... Spirit of God. As many as are the children of God, they're led by the Spirit of God. You know, and I'm sure that the person that prophesied to him was very sincere. Right? But the Bible says, despise not prophesying. Right? Now, I believe in prophecy, but sometimes there's abuses. And because of the abuses, we tend to despise it. We just don't like, oh, no, not another prophecy. Right? But the Bible says, do not despise prophecy. It says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. In other words, Judge the prophecy. Is it from God or is it not? And if it is, listen. Right? But if it's not, don't. See, a prophecy should never give you direction. It should confirm direction. Right? Let me give you a little scripture on this. This is Acts chapter 13. And it says that there were in Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And it starts with Barnabas and it ends with Saul. It says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So here they're praying, and they're fasting, and they're seeking God, and a prophecy comes, and the prophecy says, separate them to the work to which I have called them. They already knew they were called, right? It was a confirmation in their spirit. It wasn't new direction, right? We're to be led by the Spirit of God, not by a word from somebody else. So I got these two words, and we prayed, and I kind of got through that, and uh, the one leader in the church who really felt like I wasn't supposed to go, and uh, I just felt like I was supposed to go in spite of everything. And uh, so we ended up on a plane, flew over to Helsinki. At that time, we couldn't get directly into the Soviet Union, 88. We take a ship, a boat over, and we end up in Riga, Latvia. Now, you say, who did you know? Nobody. In fact, one of my, my relatives, uh, we, this was just like a, two weeks before we were going to go, and they said, what are, you, what are you up to? I said, well, I'm going to go over to Russia. And they said, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, why are you going? I said, I just feel like I should. They said, well, who do you know? I said, nobody. <laughs> and and uh, they're, they're kind of like, you're crazy. You're just crazy. But we end up in, in, uh, in Riga, Latvia, the capital of, of, of Latvia. And at this time, it's all controlled by the, the Soviet Union. And we get in the hotel it was a, you know, for, for there, it was a pretty nice hotel. And, and I don't remember if, 
American money went so far. I mean, it was just amazing. All right? I think that it cost 10 cents a night. You know? It may have been as high as 15. You know? So we get in our hotel and we go down to the restaurant. And we don't know. The, the, the menu is all Russian and we don't speak any Russian. None. So we ordered everything. We, did, we ordered the entire menu. And it, and it cost like $2 and that included a big tip. Okay, so, I mean, we had this whole thing full of food, and we're just like, everybody in the restaurant like looking at us, you know. So we get done with the meal, right? And we decide, well, let's go outside and walk around a little bit. So, so we're walking. We, we barely get outside, and we're walking around a little bit. And a, a man comes up to us and starts speaking to us in English and find out he's an interpreter for a businessman. And he says, are you Americans? And we said, yes, we are. And he said, well, my boss would like to take you for to, to dinner. And well, we're like, when? And, and he said, well, like in a couple of hours, he wants to take you to dinner over here. We said, okay, you know, why not? We don't know anybody, we don't have any agenda. So we end up at this restaurant with this, this Russian businessman. Now, his name is Basili Filimono. He's like 6'5, 400 pounds. Right? And uh, we, we found out why that, he's just, he's just eating everything inside. Seriously, crazy. Later, later, we have him come here, okay? And he stayed with Jeannie and I for 10 days with his wife. We took him to Olive Garden. Bernie, wave everybody, this is the truth. We took him to Olive Garden. He ordered three dinners and ate them all himself. I mean, this guy liked to eat, okay? So, so we're sitting there with, with Basili, and he's talking through the interpreter. And he says, my dad was a Pentecostal pastor. He says, and he was taken to Siberia, and he worked in a... Gula for, for 20 years. It's true. He says, and he says, I'm a businessman. He said, but, but I also have a church and pastor a little church. He says, you know, we've got like 100 people in our church. And, and he said, and he says, and I just love God and, and I'm so glad that you're here. And then he's talking to his interpreter. And he says, and tomorrow, he says, I'm going to invite you to my city. He says, for a series of dinners. A series of dinners. I'm getting the point here. Okay. So we don't have anything else to do, so we say, sure. You know? Well, up comes a van, a chauffeur-driven van, and they put us in, and they take us out to the city. It's about 30 miles from Riga, and it's called Latvia. Excuse me, Latvia. Uh, Yolgava. And it's a closed city. It's a military base with nuclear weapons. No foreigners have been there since 1945. Right? And we get there, and we're like, oh, my. Lord Jesus. Don't let us get arrested. You know? So he takes us to a restaurant. And this guy is the most flamboyant person. He's yelling, more food, you know. Oh, bring me some more drink. Bring for my friend. You know, and we're like, and half of the people in the restaurant, you know, are military officers. And they got all their military garb on and their guns. And we're like, oh, Lord, keep us from prison, you know. So we go from there and we go to another restaurant. It's a series of dinners. Okay. So we're sitting there and uh, he says, you should preach in my city. This city needs God. And we said, yeah, this city needs God. And it would be great if we could preach here. And he said, let's do it. We, we get done. We walk across the street. The Civic Auditorium's right there. They call it the Hall of Culture. And in 10 minutes, he's rented the Hall of Culture. We get in the little van, drive to another building. Five minutes later, we have a, 
an ad. This is Tuesday. We've got an ad in the paper coming out the next day. This is what it says. I've got a copy. Two world-famous American evangelists. <laughs> oh. Okay. Here's what this means. A big shot is a little shot away from home. That's all that means. Two world-famous American evangelists will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Hall of Culture Thursday night at 8 o'clock. And we went back to our little hotel, and we didn't go to the restaurant again. We fasted. And we're saying, Lord Jesus, protect us. Keep us out of prison. Lord, what are we doing? What are we doing? Sure enough, Thursday, the van rolls up. We get in the van. They take us back to Yolgava, and we get in front of the Hall of Culture, and there's a line. Inside, it's packed. There's not one seat. People are standing along the walls. The foyer is packed. They bring us in. They do a few praise and worship songs that nobody knows. Everybody's just kind of looking. They'd never heard any of it before. All right. And uh, I'm supposed to get up and preach. So I preach the simplest. I mean, like you would preach for a third grade Sunday school class. I preach. You know, God created the heavens and the earth. And God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a beautiful garden. And I, I, I mean, this is the most basic stuff. But almost nobody there had ever heard any of it. And then I give an altar call. And everybody raises their hand because they didn't understand. So I started over. And I did it again. And I gave another altar call. And every single person, not, not minus three, I mean every person there lifts their hand. And the interpreter comes up and the big guy's behind him and the interpreter says, they understand, they want to be saved. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I lead everybody in a sinner's prayer. The whole place, I mean, everybody gets saved. Right? And then we go out for dinner. <laughs> Serious, we go out for dinner. Okay. And the, the, the other bad thing, I didn't tell the last service, but there was this Russian guy, this big Russian guy. He comes up and he gave me a kiss here and a kiss there. And there's just something wrong with that. <laughs> okay. But I, we're talking and I, I said to Vasily through the interpreter, I said, there's such a revival here. Everybody's hungry for God. He said, we know communism does not work. He said, and people are looking for an answer, and they're turning to God. And I said, you know what? We just need a Bible school or a seminary here. There has not been a new seminary or Bible school in Russia since 1917. And he said, we could do that. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we can have a Bible college right here. And I said, well, how? And he starts to say, well, we'll just rent a building. He says, you want people to come? I'll get them visas to come here. And I said, you could do that? He says, we can do that. So I'm on a board of a mission organization in Jacksonville, Florida. Largest mission sending organization in the world at the time. I called up the president, Daniel. I said, Daniel, I said, I want you to go to Russia next week. I'm going to fly you over. By the way, I said, I, but you flew him. We, we're going to fly you over there. I said, I want you to talk to this guy. I said, there's a great revival coming, and we need to have a Bible school there, and we can have one. He said, that's impossible. I said, just go. He comes back. He said, let's do it. So 
you to start with. We sent $100,000 over there to get this Bible school. Vasili gets us a 100,000 square foot building with classrooms, cafeteria, all kinds of dormitories, right? He gets us visas. We send almost 20 couples over there, and we start a Bible school, right? Now, listen, from that Bible school, over 1,000 new churches got started. 1,000 new churches, right? <laughs> then, so that was in, we started in 88, 89, things were running. 1990, I get called to come go back. And Rick Renner happens to be visiting. How many remember Rick, Bible teacher? Oh, yeah, great, great Bible teacher. And uh, I said to Rick, because I'm talking on the phone about going to, to Russia, and I said, Rick, you should come with us. He said, no. He said, I don't want to ever leave the United States. I said, well, what about missions? He said, I hate missionaries. <laughs> he said, I just hate missionaries. <laughs> and I said to Rick, I said, shame on you. I cannot believe you. You were preaching in all the biggest churches in America getting nice offerings, and you will not go to another country to preach the gospel. I said, I'm ashamed of you, and you need to come. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. I'll see if I can cancel a couple meetings and come. Right. So we're on the plane. We're going over. We get there. <clears throat> he teaches in the Bible school for about two days, and he comes to me, and he says, uh, would it be possible, do you think, that my family and I move here for six months, teach in a Bible school, and just see what God does? And I said, yeah. I said, I think that's a, I think that's a God thing. I think, I think you should do that. Now, it's 21 years later, all right? They've had over 2.4 million first-time decisions for Christ through their television ministry in the former Soviet Union. Now, I want to I wanna tell you something. Now, I've been in full-time ministry for over 40 years. So I want to tell you something. I want to tell you the greatest thing that I've ever learned. Now, how many want to hear that? that? No, better than that. Both hands. Come on. Everybody. Back there. Put those hands up. Put your hands up. Okay, there it is. All right, here we go. This is the most important thing I've ever learned. Right? God is smarter than me. <laughs> and he is also smarter than you. And you can just do something that he shows you to do. And you have no idea what the, the ultimate ramifications of what you do are going to be. You know, there is just such a ripple effect you can just do a small thing, and it just sets in motion this plan that God has to reach so many different people. You need to obey the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, right, you need to obey your spirit. Now, the voice of your spirit is your conscience. Paul said, looking earnestly at the council, he said, Men and brethren, I've lived in all good conscience before God until this day. He said, I've lived in all good conscience or I have always obeyed or listened to my conscience. You become stronger spiritually when you obey the Holy Spirit, but you also become stronger spiritually when you obey your own spirit. Romans eight fourteen: the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit 
that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit communicates to our spirit and says, you're saved, you're a Christian. But he doesn't stop bearing witness with your spirit once you become a Christian. He keeps on bearing witness with your spirit. Uh, 30, trying to get this right, 34 years ago, Jeannie and I were visiting her parents. They lived in Washington, state of Washington. And uh, one of Jeannie's old classmates came over, Sam Redman. And Sam said to us, he said, uh, I want to take you guys snow skiing. He said, we're going to go up to this place north of Spokane. He said, we're going to spend the day. I'm going to teach you guys on the bunny hill. And then we're going to take you up to the next hill. And he's just, he says, and and he said, we're going to have so much fun. And then he says, and I'm going to pay for everything. And I'm Dutch. I mean, you know right where that went, didn't you? And besides that, anything that's athletic, I just like to do it. Okay? I want to do it. But something on the inside of me was just like, I don't know, it was just like scratching, saying, don't go. Don't go. And so I said to Sam, I said, no, thank you. You know, uh, we, we don't want to go. And Jeannie looked at me. And she said, last year we were here. And I was pregnant with Samuel, and I didn't get to do anything. Can we please go? She goes, please, can we go? I said, okay. But on the inside, there's just something that's just like scratching. You know, I just, I don't have any peace. Now, by the way, the book of Philippians, listen, this is what it says. It says, let the peace of God be the umpire in making all of your decisions. Let the peace of God be the umpire in making all of your decisions. In other words, when you have peace, when God gives you peace, you're safe. You're in the will of God. But when you don't have peace and you do it, you're going to be out of the will of God. I just didn't have peace. But Jeannie wanted to go and I had said yes and Sam wants to pay for everything and I'm Dutch and, you know. So, so for the next couple of days, I'm just, I, I am literally, Jeannie will tell you, I was a bear to live with, all right? I mean, I just didn't feel right on the inside that something's going to, you know, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. But I didn't know what was going to happen, all right? So we're going to go on Saturday. Wednesday night, we went to bed, we went to sleep, and Jeannie had a dream. And she dreamed we went skiing with Sam, and she fell and broke her leg. She didn't tell me. Thursday night, we go to bed. Jeannie has a dream. She dreams that we go skiing with Sam. She falls and breaks her leg. She didn't tell me. Friday night, we go to bed. Jeannie has the same dream. We go skiing with Sam. She falls and she breaks her leg. She didn't tell me. Saturday morning, we get up. Sam picks us up. We're on our way up there. And on the inside, I just have no peace. I just like, something's not right. Something's going to happen. We got there. Sam opens the door, and I made him close the door. I said, we're going to pray. I mean, I bound the devil. I loosed the angels. I pled the blood. I did everything. I did stuff I didn't even believe in. I mean, I, you understand? I did everything. You say, what happened? We went skiing. Jeannie fell, broke her leg. And somebody said, well, why didn't God protect you? He tried. He gave Jeannie three dreams and took away my peace. He tried. When you obey, Paul Paul said, I've lived in all good conscience. I've obeyed my conscience. I've obeyed my spirit. 
You know, it wasn't God speaking to me, but he took my peace. He took my peace away. And that was God saying, hey, don't go in that direction. That's the wrong direction for you to go in, right? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Now, I want to just bring up one more thing that I think is very, very important when it comes to being led by the Spirit and obeying your spirit. In Acts chapter 7 and verse 23, it says, When Moses was a full 40 years old, it came into the heart of Moses to visit the children of Israel. Now, he'd been living in Pharaoh's house since he was at least five, maybe four, for 35 plus years, and it never came into his heart. But when he was 40 years old, it came into the heart of Moses to visit the children of Israel. I'm going to ask a simple question. Who put that desire in his heart? God put that desire in his heart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, translators New Testament. God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him and to work for them. God puts desires inside of our hearts. And Jeannie and I, when we first went to Mexico, we started a church in Guadalajara. And it really was our intent to stay and pastor that church until Jesus comes. I mean, our entire lives. We had no intention of ever coming back to America. To, to live, ever. We've been there for just about two years. And my friend, Javier Gomez Rubio, who's in Mexico City, called up and said, hey, he said, I'm going to go out to an Indian village up in the mountains. He said, I want you to come with me. It'll be a lot of fun. I said, okay, I'm up for some fun. You know? So I bring Jeannie down to Mexico City, leave her in Mexico City, and meet my friend Javier out in the village. We get up in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, get in the back of a little Willie's Jeep. We go a couple hours, three hours down a paved road, turn right, two hours down a dirt road. The dirt road ends, and there's mules waiting for us. Now, for those of you who don't know what a mule is, a mule is a cross between a horse and a donkey. And the reason you do it is this. A mule is bigger than a donkey, but it's more sure-footed than a horse. So mountain men usually ride mules if you're going to go through some really, really rough terrain. So we climb on these mules, and for over 10 hours, we are going up the mountain, down the mountain, cross the river, up the mountain, down the mountain, cross the river. And, and finally, we're, we get to this town called Buena Vista. I was so sore, I actually was crying at times. Right? And I had the littlest mule God had ever made. <laughs> I am, I, I'm serious. Listen, listen. Now, this was, when I say we're going down this road, it's, it's a path, all right? There, there, there's not two tracks. There's one track. And there were spots, you know, where it's like worn down. And I literally, I would take my feet out of the stirrups and I'd walk on top of the mule like this. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Absolutely serious. This was just like this, this was torture. So I'm riding the whole time and my legs are up like this, and, you know. We get out to this village, right? It's 100 degrees. There is no electricity. There is no running water. I asked for the bathroom, and they just went, al monte, which means the mountain, any place you find. You know, the, the, the homes, um, you know, they're, they're, they're sticks covered with mud. It's a thatched roof. 
Uh, the name of the little town is Buena Vista. Bernie's been there with me. All right? Beautiful view. Up on top of the mountain, beautiful view. All right? And uh, we're holding church services at night for six hours each night. Have a two or three hour service in the morning, three hour service in the afternoon. But by the second day, I'm just freaking out. Right? I'd never been in a place like this before. Right? And I go over to my friend Javier. And I said, Javier, I said, why did you bring me here? And in fact, I literally, I grabbed him. Why did you bring me here? I said, this is not my ministry. I said, I belong in a city with electricity and bathrooms. I said, we need to go home now. And he said to me, he said, we can't. And I said, why? He said, number one, he said, we do not know the way. He said, we will get lost and we'd never get back to Mexico City. He said, and secondly, he said, we don't have mules. And he said, we gave our word. We're going to stay. And I left him. I was mad. I took off. Two and a half days later, we're leaving. I climbed up on a mule. It was a regular big mule. And I was literally, I started crying. Now, I was not crying because I was happy to leave. I was crying because God had put such a love and desire in my heart to help these people that I went back and said to Jeannie, would you be willing to move to live in a village? And three weeks later, we were living there. Now, there was nothing in the natural that made me want to move there. You understand that? There was nothing in the natural that made me want to move. But God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want what pleases him. It came into the heart of Moses to go and visit the children of Israel. And as as you listen to the Holy Spirit, and as you listen to your spirit, it's going to come into your heart. God himself is at work in you. And he will inspire you to want to do what pleases him. He will put desires in your heart. And one of the biggest mistakes that we make is to think, well, it must just be me. You know? When it's a desire to help build the kingdom of God, it's not you. It's God putting that desire on the inside of you. Right? Some of you, you've got that desire to get involved in a ministry. Do it. But in the same way, in business, God can put a desire inside you to start a business. When God leads, he does it through his word. He does it through his spirit. Right? There is not a verse that says which college to go to. There's not a verse which says which house do you buy. There's not a verse that says to start a new business. But when God leads in those areas... Listen carefully. When God leads in those areas, one of the main ways that he leads is by putting a desire inside your heart. Just like he did with Moses. Moses was a full 40 years old and it came into the heart of Moses. And as you listen to the Holy Spirit and obey the Holy Spirit, you are going to become stronger and stronger in your spirit and really become what the Bible refers to as a spiritual man or a spiritual person, a person whose spirit dominates their life. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.